Welcome to the third episode of the BAL podcast. I'm Ms. Benny Bonsu and we're joined by my co-hosts, Colin and Tavi and DJ Aries. Yo, that playlist. Everyone, how are we doing? We're good. Good, good. Blessed, blessed. And Tavi is smiling so broadly. I'm always smiling though. You know this because... Did something happen this week? That you don't tell us about. Nothing has happened this week. And before Colin jumps into his stories, <laughs> let's tell you what's coming up. We have Sarah Chan, the first female Africa scout for the Toronto Raptors, is joining us today on our podcast. We're also featuring Serge Ibaka. Some of you may know who he is. And if you don't know who Serge Ibaka is, then you really haven't lived. Um, but we will be, you know, showcasing and talking about his great work over the years within the league. Um, I'm really excited about this podcast because I feel like we're going to be educated by the woman that is Sarah Chan. But before all of that, let's go straight to Ntabi for what's in the news. No, we're still in quarantine. Get that. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) We're still in this, guys. You know, New York York City is still on lockdown. But the world is not on lockdown. But anyway, what's happening around the league is, guys, something is moving. There's a shift in the BAL. And on Fridays, bi-weekly, they'll be releasing videos, interview style with Yusuf on um, their platform, so people should go out and check it out. I mean, we're all for the BAL, we're pro-basketball, we're pro-Africa, so go check those folks out. And to, this week was Mental Health Week, and I'm so glad that we have Sarah coming on board so we could ask her about what mental health um, issues that may have risen because of what went down in Sudan and what's still going down. And I know this has been a little bit of a shift there, but it's, it's going to be a very important conversation. Um, as Africans, we know that this is not something that's really spoken about. I've been to therapy. Benny, you mentioned yourself and um, DJ Aries herself. Um, our brother, our uncle Colin also has been, but he's got his own opinions. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Mental Health Awareness Week. And so uh, lastly, the NBA is still on the fence about when the league is going to commence. I mean, if the NBA doesn't start, we know that the BAL is not going to start. So what's happening? We don't know, but we will soon find out. And that's all I have for this week. Man, I'm, I, I miss basketball. But before I talk about the Mental Health Week, I want us to touch on the Last Dance documentary for oh. a second before we start about the situation. Guys, listen, I haven't watched the last episode because I w- don't want it to be the last, so I still haven't watched it. But what I want to touch on is the fallout after this documentary. Have you kind of seen it on media? <laughs> Have you seen it? No, no well, I need to honest no, you, you you really need to look f- first of all i mean apart from just the whole mj ig and everything i think far and away this is one of the best documentaries ever produced and if it doesn't win 
if he doesn't win um, awards, an Oscar, an Emmy, or whatever it is, then there's something wrong with the system. Because to be honest, look, this is this this was an absolutely amazing, awesome body of work, and whoever well, and must give credit to everybody who had a hand in it. Yeah, for sure. Like Jason, is it Air? Jason Air, I think his name is the director. Yeah, I listened to him on on Jaden and Jacoby. After every episode, they, they well, not after every episode, but after the yeah, like, airing after, happens, the, the after, whole, you know, after the dance thing, yeah. Right, and I was listening to his commentaries and stuff, um, and how Jalen was going off about like this has to win um, awards. And going back to your question, Benny, about social media, listen. <laughs> social media is crazy, and people have their own opinions about what's going on. But I, I, you know what? Nobody. I'm a huge LeBron James fan, but even he acknowledged that this was one of the greatest things that he's watched. He found himself crossing over his child, like he just wanted to keep playing. He just wanted to play and all that. But the whole tapping on the on the bum thing. Listen, I watched it. I still say it was a slight tap. I don't think he pushed him. He was already swinging that way. So, hey, listen. You, you guys, let's go back. Let's go back to the documentary. Like, no doubt, it's gonna win some kind of awards and many awards to come because simply is the one of the greatest that we've seen. But the people that starred in the documentary and the stories that were told of the Bulls of that era, the fallout between them and Michael Jordan after this documentary is. Like Michael Jordan, like I know that, you know what, he can be the greatest athlete that we've ever seen, but it doesn't mean he's the greatest human, which is like, I'm a bit, I'm, I feel like I'm having a relationship with Michael Jordan through this documentary. And right now I'm at a breakup stage with him. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I am. Yeah, here's the thing, here's the thing, right? Being being a great athlete and being a great person, you know, do not always have to go together. And yeah, exactly. And geniuses, you know, they, they are like that. And that's who Michael Jackson is. I'm sorry, Michael Jordan Michael Jackson. is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so he's, the only thing we can say is he's only human. And that's a fact. It's the same thing that applies to almost all of us. For you to get to where Michael Jackson, why do I keep saying Michael Jackson? Michael Jordan was, you know, you have to be, you have to have that um, rootlessness in you. You have to have Listen, that. I think um, people have different leadership styles. Right? Leadership he, he was style driven. Was, was driven. Yeah, but his leadership style is very different to LeBron's leadership style, to Chris Paul's leadership style, to a lot of people's leadership style. So, I mean, what he showed on the show, and he's really not apologetic about his leadership style. No, it got, like, like, it got the stuff done. Whatever he needed done, it got mm -hmm. done. And I know people are going to go off about it and they continue to go off about it, but he won Chicago's sixth bloody championship. Exactly. You know, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, but that, that's, that's, that's as good as it, it gets, you know. You, you don't, yeah. Imagine yourself on that team and if he spoke to you in that manner, how would you have felt? Now, he got the job, always, job done. No, listen, I've always been very sensitive uh, right and even in basketball the coaches are I've, I've played for a coach who just yelled if you yell at me it just goes in one ear and straight out the other so I always try to listen to the message and not the yelling 
So exactly. the way that I saw Jordan speak on the documentary, it wasn't so much he wasn't yelling. He was very aggressive in the way that he delivered things, but I I, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there, so it's hard for me to have a good Yeah, yeah, here's the thing, Betty. Here's the thing, Betty. I, I think you've been spoiled by growing up in the UK. Now, um, <laughs> yeah, that, it's a fact. Look, if if you in Africa, coaches don't tell you. Oh, coaches scream at you every single moment from training, from um, practice sessions, through games. In fact, if you look at if, if you look at African coaches, they are almost all perpetually angry. I was brought up in Africa. I was brought up in Africa. My coaches in the UK majority of them were Nigerians. So my, there was no babies. No, 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 no. Nigerians. When you come down, yes, you've been spoiled by the whole UK upbringing. When you a typical Nigerian coach is eternally angry. Of From course. the moment, yeah, so, so exactly. So they don't tell you, oh, yeah, not not this whole thing of oh, you did well, but you, uh, no, what the judge, you know, in the UK you? Are you crazy? Are you well, all Nigerian? All my coaches in the UK were Nigerian, <laughs> and there was no cuddling and are you okay? They don't they, they don't even care. I could turn up to train and have it eaten a whole day, and they'll still make me run around the field five times. They didn't care. But all I'm saying is, you know what? I love Jordan. I think for me that LeBron's style of leadership would work and hearing other people speak, like, you, you can't say things like, you know, you ain't want nothing, so you don't understand why I had to do that. A lot of people want a lot of things in their lives. I just feel like with this documentary, it was a great series. I wanted to go, what I, look, I feel like they need to do 10 on Dennis Rodman. I think they need mm-hmm. to do 10 on Swissie Oh yeah, oh. They need oh, to do Rodman. 10 definitely, on each everyone. Definitely Dennis Rodman. Definitely, Definitely Dennis Rodman. I think like LeBron, one on LeBron will be so interesting to see what the players say behind his back when he's not at the forefront. But I just think the Jordan documentary has opened my eyes up to basketball even more than what I already knew about basketball. Mm. And I think this conversation was going to keep going. I always say this, that they need to do a reunion show with all the characters <laughs> in one room. Oh Bob my goodness, oh my goodness. Things are going to fly. And this is what I think should happen. They should do a reunion show. They need to get the Kimbe to host it. And then oh all of those people in there. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh. I definitely want I, I definitely want to see MJ and Horace Grant, you know, in one having room. a one-on-one. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the conversation between Shaq and Kobe that they did on e, in, on ESPN? Oh yes, 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 yes. yes. Horace Grant and the MJ. Clothes- yeah. down. Or, uh-huh. or, or MJ and Isaiah Thomas. Oh, have you seen the memes on Isaiah Thomas? I, 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 yeah, I think I, yeah, I, think I had that MJ as a Thomas thing. You know, all the whole thing up to the Olympic Games that, and now, uh, that's a must-watch. Isaiah Thomas and MJ in one room talking about the real issue between them and how they can move it forward. Because you, I mean, you can't leave it too late. Look, look at what Shaq and Kobe did. If they hadn't yeah. done that and then what would have now, yeah. you know, that would have mm-hmm. built the chat. So I think MJ, like, like that man knows how to hold a grudge. Like he, big time. He knows how to, go, like he needs to let it yep. go. Sit down with Isaiah. Isaiah looks like, look, I've grown past this. I know what I did was wrong. I know better now. Let's move forward. Whilst Michael's like, nah, he's still a bitch for that. You <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's let's move on to today's show. Like this week, we're featuring the man that is Serge Ibaka. 
must say that I've learned something new about Serge. Serge's middle name is Jonas. Isn't that beautiful? Jonas. Jonas. Serge Jonas Ibaka. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Already in a beautiful name and a beautiful man. And Colin, don't get offended by this, by the way. Any? <laughs> Her eyes are open. Your eyes are open. <laughs> Opening. <laughs> oh, but listen, Serge, look, look, I'll be a hater if I said he wasn't. Serge is a beautiful man. And he's all us women, we appreciate him. But um, apart from him being a good looking man, he's so, also a fabulous basketball player. He was drafted into the NBA in 2008 to what we now know as the Seattle Supersonics, which doesn't exist anymore, we have OKC. He's been at OKC, um, he's at Toronto Raptors now, but before his life at, at the NBA, Serge grew up and was born in the Republic of Congo. I don't know if you guys know that his mom and dad were both actual basketball players. Wow. Yeah, both his, his parents were basketball players. They escaped the war um, in the Congo. Dad then was imprisoned, lost his mom. Serge is one of 18 children. Whoa, okay. his dad was not lazy. 18 children. Hold, hold a question. So are all those 18 children the same parents or different mums? No, probably different mums because Serge lost his mum. I think hold on a minute. All right. 18, 18 children. I mean, Serge, if you've got brothers, like it threw them in our direction. And My grandmother would have <laughs> said his dad was not lazy. Okay. <laughs> he sold his seed like everywhere. 18 kids. But Serge is the one in the NCAA. Serge had another brother that played in the NCM, NCAA. Um, but Serge, like I said, played in OKC for many years and then obviously went over to Toronto Raptors. But one thing about Serge that people don't talk about a lot is Serge is actually committed to the community. Every community mm. in which he's played in, he's always given back. Before, always before the NBA, yeah. he was in France. He played in France. He played in Spain for many years went to OKC and I, the reason why I feel so loyal and attached to Serge is because I remember when he went to OKC he invited me out there when he was out there um, to come and see what he was doing with the Serge Ibaka Foundation and I remember I didn't know much about it I mean I knew Serge as a player but then when I went to OKC and see the impact he's had in the local community I was blown away I remember he invited me out there for a week to his house his family he then did a, a gala, like the Serge Barker Foundation Gala, where he raised a lot of money. When I mean the community came out to support him, the whole community came out along with his teammates to support the work he does. And he raises a lot of money and he invests highly back home in Brazzaville and Congo. He then moved over to Toronto and whilst he's in Toronto, he's done exactly the same thing. He's immersed himself within the community. He does this whole talent thing over this COVID-19 period. I don't know if you guys are following him, but yeah. every night he does a talent show to give people opportunity to showcase their talent. But also what Serge has done is like he's given away $100,000 to help homeless people during this COVID-19 period in Toronto. Wow. That's Absolutely. amazing. Isn't that crazy? Like that is so much. But also he hosted his first um, Serge Ibaka Foundation gala in April again, to raise money for the local community. Um, Serge also has launched a COVID-19 um, Congo Relief. And he, what he's doing is he's teamed up with another charity, Rooftop Iris <laughs> Foundation. Um, and they've come together to um, drop 80 tons of food products for, to be distributed for the local community of Brazzaville so people don't go hungry um, wow. during the COVID-19 period. But before all of that, Serge every year 
has run the Dreams Academy camp in, in mm. Congo. He does it also in Spain. He's won the Facelist Awards. Serge is like amazing. And he can speak all these languages. I mean, yeah. Five languages, Serge. Serge Ibaka is like the ultimate do-gooder basketball player that we should all be celebrating. And I think, you know, in 2018, he became the um, board of director for the NBPA um, Foundation. So Serge, you want to talk about community and giving back? He's the epitome of giving back to Africa. So Serge, we celebrate you. Yes, Serge. Serge. <laughs> that is just fantastic. Absolutely. You know, like, I don't know how you guys felt when he first joined the Toronto Raptors, but when he joined the Raptors, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely Team Africa because Serge is somebody that is not ashamed of his African roots. He will let you know where he's from. He will show you his fashion style. He will teach you about his food. I'm not sure about his food. He's both. <laughs> Have you seen his show on YouTube? Have you seen uh, How Hungry Are You? Oh, wow. That I am never, yeah. I'm never you hungry. Know you know what, Benny? I, I, think, I think we should have Serge do a pickup, you know, where we all go sit down and, you know, no. actually taste. I will not touch Serge's food. I remember, <laughs> I I, I've seen this been on social media, and then I remember, I think, last year we were in Toronto for the Toronto, for the Giants of Africa Nelson Mandela 100 celebration. And I saw that, I saw Serge, I said, yo, what's going on for the evening? And he's like, yeah, I've got to be on stage. And I'm like, oh, what's he doing? Is he singing, dancing? What's he doing? And he's like, oh, is this some good times? <laughs> this man created a milkshake with bugs and worms and everything. Ew! And oh. had Jimbe, had Yvonne oh. Chaka Chaka, had all these people on stage and had them try it. And I was like, this guy, I'll never what? hear from I wow. will never <laughs> Can okay. you you oh, still thank you very to much. I'll, pass. I'll, 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 leave, I'll leave that for Harris. Yeah, wow. Let's just <laughs> celebrate his greatness of the field of play and give him back to the community. Um, but his food, question mark. <laughs> wow. Now, 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 now you've told me I'm going to be as wary of him as I am of my relatives who eat dog meat. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of Serge, though? Because I think he's amazing. I think, I, I think the same thing. He's amazing. I mean, coming from a different... Even in the um, entertainment world, he's already made that kind of impact. And to me, he seems very bold. Again, he's into his culture, his food, his language. The fact he can speak five languages, I mean, that's so rare for, for a sport. I'm telling you, I can barely speak one. You know, just about two and a half. And then his sportsmanship, he's so passionate. And, you know, he's a rarity. And I think he should be a treasured African, you know, athlete, sportsman. See, one of the best things that I've seen Serge do on the internet was um, I had read somewhere that it, there was a particular restaurant in his country that, you know, he was hungry one time, went there to ask for food, and they just gave him the Heisman. And then when he became what he became, he went right back to that restaurant and just hung out there and chilled. When I saw that video, I was like, that's the most boss thing I've seen. <laughs> you know, I, I love about him. It's like, I always say to players when I meet them, especially African players, I'm like, you have to own and really appreciate the fact of your heritage and where you've come mm -hmm. from, but also your journey. And Serge, like I said to you guys, when he first went to OKC, he had invited me. Like he said, Benny, come and see what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I didn't know what he was doing, but I got on a plane, I went to OKC, this place is cold. Like, it's not even hot. 
Anyway, I get there. And he's like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And he's showing me. So it's not like a word of, he's just talking. He's mm. actually doing it. But also what he did is that he then followed on and came to Ghana with us. So he came to Ghana and he wanted to know what he can do in Ghana with Luau and Pops. And I was just like, you know what? You are truly Mr. Africa. If there was a mm-hmm. the world, the you would win Mr. Africa because his heart is always in the right place. And I think with athletes like him and like Bismack we talked about last week, um, we need to celebrate them because they're always looking back mm-hmm. and not just looking forward and forgetting their mm-hmm. people, always bring the people along with them. So Serge for me, 100. We are finally being joined by the amazing, I told you girls and guys were calling anyway, the first woman scout of Africa, <laughs> of the Toronto Raptors, Team Africa. <laughs> Sarah Chan has joined us. Sarah, welcome to the BAL podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Hold up, hold up. Hold up, Betty. You're all women here, so let me, look, you can let me welcome her. You're all women here, so. Yeah, you know what? So, like, like Betty said, you know, big welcome to the first ever well, black African woman scout for a major <laughs> NBA franchise. Champions, nice champions, champions. For the, one, the only, the beautiful, the dark, the melanin spotted, Sarah. I was gauging the environment. I'm like, let me not jump in with my foolishness. Let me just <laughs> <laughs> trust me, we do foolish here. Yeah, we love foolish. I love it. I love it. That's what I'm used to. So it would have been awkward if everybody was like, oh my gosh, like totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This is Team Africa. We're all out there foolish, but for the continent. So we enjoy ourselves whilst we talk. But we are so honored that you could join us. Um, How are you feeling? First woman, Scout, Africa, Toronto Raptors champion. How is it all going? That is big. Oh my God. It is. It's one of those that still feels surreal. Um, but the journey and the growth and just the impact is, is so gratifying. So it's, it's incredible. But like you said, more and more need to come. We need to, we need more. You know, there's, there's got to be something in the water in Toronto. Because it seems, look, I mean, I, I don't know how it happened, whether it's by design or um, coincidence. But we're having... I mean, Toronto is just Team Africa. So, is it by design? Is it by is it coincidence? Um, I would I would say it starts from leadership. Masai has been incredibly intentional with everything that he does. I will say that, and also I think because of just the infinite pool of talent in Africa. I mean, everybody's just gravitating um, towards him, and and you guys have uh, you have definitely got to talk to him and just interact. He's just really authentic and and very um, vocal about African issues, uh, African players, and so I think I think it's just befitting that everybody would you know lean towards there. And most of the staff is uh, is also from. So it does help that the director of uh, global scouting is from South Africa. I'm from South Sudan. Masai is from Nigeria. Um, And we have Congo all over the place. So let's just say the motherland is at it. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I think having you guys there and for you guys to represent Africa in such a way that makes all of us proud and makes us all part of the journey, it's amazing. But I want to talk about you and your journey. You know, where did it all start? And from South Sudan to the States, to Toronto Rap. Talk, talk us through that journey. Like every other journey um, of an African kid, it's a lot of struggle. Um, so I was in uh, Khartoum, lived with family that's over 30, like 35 plus people, you know, the communal African living. And so that in itself taught me so much. It taught me to share, to love, to serve, you know, hard work. Um, and it just taught you to survive as well because it wasn't always enough. Um, so um, due to the war was it, that was at home, we ended up moving as a family in search of greener pastures. And um, my, my, my parents have really, really been um, intentional with education and just the value of that in our lives. And so that is what brought us to Nairobi instead of going to the refugee camp as a family. When in high school, I did not like sports at all. I was just the tallest kid and my principal decided that, hey, you have to pick something to play. We're not going to waste this height and I'm glad that I listened. I learned so much. I fell in love with the game and it wasn't too long before I started to get looks and ended up in the States um, playing at a university that I otherwise would not have, um, you know, afforded uh, the fee. And it was a, a bit of an adjustment, but I'm always up to the challenge. And so I was open to, um, you know, this new culture, this new way of life that uh, uh, seemed so difficult. I cried a lot. I cried a lot. I just could not understand um, try to make sense of everything and try to, you know, stay level headed and kept moving and ended up um, getting an invite to the WNBA. It didn't work out. Uh, ended up uh, getting contracts to Europe and I played a little bit in Africa then again South Sudan plunged into war and um, I decided that I just wanted to understand better and invest especially in my education because right now at that time I couldn't do anything basically I mean everything was uh, at a standstill and it wasn't safe so I wanted to understand better why we're fighting one another and so I did my uh, uh, masters in international relations in the area of peace uh, and conflict studies. Um, graduated and it was two weeks to a graduation and I had so much time on my hand and I just, you know, I always remembered what my mom said. Um, There's not enough time on earth for us to waste. Even a hundred years is not enough to impact the world in the way God wants you to. And so I was always uh, reminded of that and it was, you know, that focal point. And in those two weeks, it was an instrumental for me because I started to search for opportunities to um, volunteer. And there was a camp going on in town. It happened to be the Giants of Africa camp. I had no idea who my side them were, um, Patrick, Engelbert, and so forth. But I just poured my heart out because for me, every opportunity is one to learn from and, and to teach. So um, the give and take was incredible at the end of... Um, the camp Masai reached out and he said that he wanted me to be part of the team because it seemed my passion supersedes me and so he wanted that to be a part of what they um, wanted this movement to continue being going forth and also just with the women representative and so forth. Um, so I started scouting for them from Giants of Africa and that's how I they ended up uh, making me part of the Raptors team and, and down the road here I am managing the scouting. I mean, Sarah, just to go back to what you mentioned about 
you know, being in South Sudan and having to flee to Kenya, we were just talking earlier about mental health. How was that for you? How was your mental health um, post that? How is it now even just thinking about the things that happened um, even, you know, once you had left home, how do you give back to the women that you're so involved with um, back home in South Sudan and even encouraging them to do therapy? Do you do that? You know, can you just walk us through that? Um, I'll tell you a story about uh, what happened to my sister. I was always, when she was about six years old, I'm three years older than her. So when she was about six years old, um, she went to a different school. We were still very inseparable and I couldn't wait to get home so I just could see her face. So um, we're really close. I got home and she was not happy and I had never seen her in that kind of mood. And um, she narrated a story to me that she didn't tell me the night before, but when she was leaving school, she was with her other uh, classmate who was really her closest friend that was kindergarten um, and the parents of the kid did not come early enough to pick her so she um, like the Christian that mama taught her to be she stayed behind and tried to um, keep the kid company until the parents came but it was getting really late and she knew also mama would probably whoop her if she didn't get home in time and so she decided to go home um the following morning they came back to school and there was something wrapped in a sheet and so she is so conservative she didn't go close to it but then when it was brought to the school and opened of course curious like everybody else she went to try and see it and it happened to be her friend that um she was with the previous night that had had her organs harvested and the body was left outside of school. And so it's this different incidences that if you don't have the proper channel to be able to release some of these emotions or just somebody to talk to, that you know what, hearing about it and seeing different incidences, waking up in the middle of the night where um, uh, there, there's just an unknown group of men outside the door and lights are just projected at your house um, asking for your father to step outside and knowing properly that him going outside is the end of him you know and on the other side my mom always stepped in and was that voice that everybody needed was that strength that we all needed was that sanity that we all looked forward to um, there was a balance it was traumatic but there was a balance. Home was that safe heaven that restored everything. We, I mean, we were over 35, so there was always um, somebody to talk to. There was always somebody to guide you. And so coming out of that and going, coming to Kenya, we had one another to talk to. As a family, we set goals. We had a purpose and it was always driven into us as kids, as immigrant kids, that you're here for a purpose. You're here to educate yourself, to equip yourself, and you take this back home because there's a reason God chose us to make it out. We have to go back. So that had always been the guidelines that we had as a family. And it really did help us with a lot of the adjusting. It did help us with a lot of the healing because as you all know, most of us Africans are conditioned to just tough it out. You got this, You're, you don't cry. That's what is Colin. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So you just, okay. Let's let's finish. <laughs> so you just kind of went along, uh, trying to figure it out and trying to find ways 
And for me, I will say without a doubt that the support of family and the game of basketball was that therapy that I needed in this life. It saved my life a couple of times where a tournament would happen and something would happen at home and I happened to just not be home. It's uh, it's it's really just was that place that I could go to and forget about everything else that was happening in the world. Because no matter where we were, directly or indirectly, the war still affected us. Um, you'd hear so-and-so passed away, so-and-so is about to die, so-and-so. I've lost a lot of family members because um, most of my family is in the military. And honestly, like almost 80% of the country is military. So everybody has directly or indirectly been affected, but the, just the support um, and also just having uh, faith has really guided us. My mom um, is a born again Christian. She was my first Santa school teacher. So she's that fountain of wisdom and, and just therapy uh, that we needed. You know, um, that's, um, I think that's about how I could explain it. I think there was a, there's, there's a question within that that you had also asked that I might've forgotten. I was just asking how do you, you know, you work with a lot of women. Um, how yes. do you encourage them, you know, yes. to, to yeah. get therapy and just encouraging them to, to do what it takes to get their mental state? Yes, yeah. so um, in 2012, when I went back home, I, I, I cried so much. Um, I couldn't fathom the fact that for over 21 years, this is what we were fighting for. What were we fighting for? I struggled so much to understand what it was that we were even fighting for because women were still being um, abused. Women are still being forced into marriages. Women are still being killed because they're refusing to get married. And this is, they're not women. Some of them are kids. I remember before we came to Kenya that there was this child when we were going to go, uh, we went to say bye to grandparents because we knew for sure that we probably might never come back uh, to see them in time because they were getting old too. And so um, while we were at the village, I remember standing in my uncle's compound and across the fence, and you know how the village some of these village fences are, it's not even a fence, you're seeing everyone. So it's just one big family. Um, so I could see through the fence that this this about maybe 13, 14 year old girl that, you know, it started as an argument and then I didn't really understand. I was about maybe 11 at the time or about to be 12. And the argument ended up in her father and her brothers beating her. Until now, I don't know if it was to death or half to death. And I remember how everybody just gave him that sovereignty over it all. And I just remember thinking to myself, why isn't anybody helping? The girl is screaming and she is screaming her lungs out and nobody is helping. I came to find out later on, because it, it had really taunted me for so long. I came to find out later on that her parents were trying to, her father was trying to um, force her into marriage and she stood her ground and she said no. And I remember after everybody had kind of dispersed and her father went back to the house, I went closer to the fence to just try to talk to her and see if she was okay. And I remember her just staring, you know, just gazing in one place and was irresponsive. I, I just didn't know at that point what was going on. So I just stepped back and I went into what, you know, 
uh, that place was for me, which was into prayer. Like, God, I don't know what's going on, but please help her. Mom is not here for me to ask her questions, but I have you. Please help her. And I remember the family coming to carry her back into the house and so forth. But then that is one of the reasons that, you know, made me cry in 2012 because I realized that nothing much had changed. And because of that, I talked to my mom and I talked to some of my close friends and we registered a national NGO. We're trying to keep these kids in school to make sure that they're not being forced into marriages. And um, I have some of my cousins, even just from within, that are living with my mom because one way or the other, they were being forced into marriage. And there's just different people from the community. So because my mom's house has always been like the community home and has been that support, I thought to call this NGO Home at Home because for me, it represented my mom's home. For me, it represented Africa as the bigger home in South Sudan within that home. And it represented a place that we can all heal together, a place that we could sit down even without talking, but we understand, we can relate, and we can just support one another as women. So we um, started to look at some of this um, issues that we had in our uh, immediate community which was the issue of a lot of women just depending fully on their husbands and most of their husbands are soldiers and can't cater these are the same people that when something happens in south sudan they're the first to be affected while they should be the heroes and celebrate it and now they're just there and not doing anything and their wives are just basically crying day in and day out because they don't know how to take care of their kids. They don't, they don't even know when the next meal is gonna come in the next three days. So it's been a place where we have designed some um, voc uh, vocationally uh, training for these women, where we have them um, meet like traditional uh, bedsheets because weddings are so huge in Africa and especially in South Sudan. Um, every other weekend there's somebody getting married. So we got them um, started with some of these um, items that they could sell where they can empower themselves and they can educate their children. And that's been part of what we've been doing, but mainly we're focusing on our kids, the girls that are mostly affected, but also just having communications with uh, our chief in the area and you know, doing every bit that we can to educate them, to, to sensitize the community so that her whole ecosystem as a woman is empowered. And so it's still, you know, in its initial stages because we registered it in 2017, but it's different women coming through and out and we're not yet, you know, where we want to be, but we continue to thank God for the grace and for the provision. Uh, to keep doing it. We have one girl right here that's from um, uh, the refugee camp and she's at the university level. So we're really, really um, glad for such opportunities and to just be vessels um, alongside, you know, um, that journey that they, they are on. Man, I, Sarah, when I listen to you speak, I'm just like, <laughs> I always say this to every African that I meet. I say we are the generation that was sent away to go and steal the knowledge and come back and reinvest in our communities. And this is why I'm so big on women and this what we do because we use sports as a tool to actually create change back home. 
you know so it's not necessarily oh my god you must become a professional basketball player no it's using that sport to open the door to get to things that you wouldn't otherwise get to and using those things to create the change at home and that's exactly what you're doing and i think for me when i look at you and your journey and seeing your journey now within the nba i just think that this is just a tool and you're going to probably end up in the un as a un secretary (laughs) honestly that's what i think because i always say this about myself i'm like look i'm going to become the president of ghana one day it's coming Mm, it doesn't know when it's just coming um don't forget us i'm telling you like what like i see you like and i see the work you do for giants of africa and i'm very passionate about giants of africa as much as you are and i see that you're doing more and more work with girls why has that become such an important part of what GOA is doing across the continent especially with the work you guys did in Somalia last summer the world is a better place if you equip both genders they contribute economically um, already women are so they're just the cohesion of society where we really are we are the glue to our families um, you empower a woman you educate one woman and you educate a whole community it was or it it still is such an honor to have gone to Somalia and I remember Masai um, because I mean nobody nobody wants to go into a conflict area but we are from conflict areas most people that you're gonna meet from Africa from conflict areas so I remember Masai looking at me and asking me Sarah um, what do you think because we changed the dates like a couple of times in fact it's so funny that I started to receive some phone calls from numbers from Somalia that I knew was not you was not UN and was not from the foundation. You know what? It crosses your mind what if it's Al Shabaab, right? And what if it was? I looked at Masai and I told him that because I knew that his heart has never changed about Somalia. In fact, if anything it was, you know, we were back and forth about when should we Okay, so we changed this date to this date and, you know, just working around the camps that we already had in place that could tamper with that. And I said, we're going for those girls. We're going for those girls. And he looks at me and say, yeah, we're going home. And I said, you're right, we're going home. And that's just exactly what it is. Um, I was asked this past week about, you know, do you think it, it's stupid to go to places like that? And is it scary? And I said, let me tell you something about that. <laughs> the scary it will be. It's only human to have that fear. Stupid depends on who is perceiving it. Now, for me, there's some causes in this life that I'm willing to die for. And for a child's life to be changed, that is a no-brainer for me. I will do it over and over again. I will do it until God says that it's it's done. And that's why we do it. Women are intelligent. Women have a big role to play in Africa, totally being that utopian Africa that we all envision. So if we give women more um, visibility, if we equip and empower these little girls, we change their whole community and in turn they'll come back and change their nation. In turn, Africa and the world is a better place. So what price can anybody put on any cause? If, if you're not gonna live for something, like they say, you'll die for nothing. I'd rather die for this cause. And these kids are what I'm going for. So. I was really excited about a Somalia trip. I remember oh my gosh, I know. all the pictures. 
like, Benny, look, we, we, we got there. It was amazing. I was like, oh my God, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was with us at like 2.30 a.m. because we went to uh, South Sudan. And um, <laughs> from South Sudan, we came back to Nairobi. But we came back so late, and by the time we were packing everything, we, by the time we got everything from the store, we were packing it because we knew that we didn't have much time. That Masai was with us at 2:30. I don't know what time it was in the morning. Socks and sports bras, and you know, putting them in bags and asking for instruction of what to do. And that's just truly the kind of leader that he is, you know. And that's just how bad we wanted to go into Somalia. Come rain, come sunshine. We need to meet these kids. It was an incredible honor to just get there. The environment was so electric. Like it wasn't, you know, like how you would think I'm going into a, an Islamic community is going to be reserved and conservative and so forth. As soon as we landed, there was so like, I don't know. But then I got out of the car. I ran to the court like the silly girl that I always am at camps. <laughs> I'm a baby. Like I am just like these children. <laughs> ran to the court, there was a bit of music playing. I don't even know how they dance. I just started to talk to them. Some of them don't even understand English. I said, hey, we are going to dance. And so I started to do a dance move. They all joined in and <laughs> we started to dance for like the next 10 minutes. Masai, them are talking and they come to join us. And it's just like one big merry uh, party at this court. Mm -hmm. And Masai was like, okay. We need to bring it in. We need to do a camp. So Sarah, you get out of here. Go get, get your job. You know? <laughs> so it's such a joy and it's a blessing. And you go into this stuff, not more so to teach, but to learn. There's so much to learn about for different cultures and you know, just different people from Africa, from the world. So we always go in with that mentality to learn first and then share what we can yes sarah your story is honestly i'm just mesmerized everything is just music to my ears um your story is amazing and you know when you go back to the villages and you speak to the chiefs of the village um was it quite difficult to kind of like get them to understand what you're trying to bring because i can understand you know from their, their perspective what all the young girls would do in the world they're just there to get married and have babies you know and stay indoors was it quite a difficult conversation to have with them to try and encourage them to look you know women are we have a purpose in this world not just to have children there's always that 50 50 chance of they might come along they might not but i think and I'll, I'll not be silly to even think that, you know, I could do this without the support of my mom mm. and the support of the women in my community because they've seen what has happened to my mother. My mother, um, in 2007, um, got a job. All of us were studying at the time. So we're at this campus in Kenya that um, they're cutting grass <laughs> and they're breaking little stones so that they can get extra money to put my brothers and ourselves to school and put food on the table. And mm -hmm. she gets a job and so she takes one for the team. She stops school. At the time we're still in school, goes back to South Sudan and works and supports the family. We come along now, everybody is working. Two of us have a master's. All four of us have graduated. My dad has a PhD. And my mom started her masters at the age of 59. She's supposed to be graduating this year. Ooh, <laughs> <amazing>. <laughs> so, 
So I just wanted, <laughs> thank you. I just wanted you to get a picture of just what a phenomenal woman and what an instrumental role she's played in our lives and continues to play in our lives. Yes, sometimes it's hard, but then it helps that you have mom and she's a really respected member of uh, our community. And, you know, Amazing. the church. Like she's a yeah. You know, there's nothing like being raised by um, a strong, a strong yeah. woman. And I don't know, I think it was Benny who said it earlier. Um, mothers are the glue that keeps the family together. It doesn't matter how how good or bad or whatever that um, we men are. You know, as long as you have a strong mother figure in the home, you're gonna have a good home. It's as simple as that. You're gonna have great children growing up to be good people. And it's 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 just a fact of life, you know. It's a simple fact. It, you you can see it happen over and over and over and over again. If you have, God forbid, a bad mother in the home, then no matter how, no, no matter what happens there, you, you just know things are gonna go pear shaped, you know. So I think it, it's um it, it's very it's a very touching, very moving story. And you know, happy with where we are. And you are where you are because. Look, we, we need to have more like you in there. I mean, we need to have, Betty doesn't want to do it because she's making, she's being too much, you know, where she is. But <laughs> hey, what? next thing we'll see, and, and, and that will probably come intern with you. And next thing you know, she's probably, um, she's probably doing the same thing or being general manager at um, Boost or, um, you know, somewhere else. Or, well, maybe not New York Knicks because, you know. Colin, <laughs> Colin, we've got to have all of us, like, African women coming up in sports, we need us at different parts of the business, you know? So, Sarah becoming a first scout, you know, next GM, like in the NBA, we need that. You know, yeah. you want them to become a president, we need that, because you're gonna need somebody that's gonna be like, look, we are doing this and that's exactly, we need us in different areas. It's so um, important. We can't right. all go for the same thing, otherwise there's no point. You know, we've yeah, got- that, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, that, no, my girls I mean, are all in different, different yeah. positions ready to attack. You get what mm -hmm. I mean? Absolutely. Exactly. So I mean, like when you become Ghana president, you can you can you can buy up an NBA team or a BL team, and then um, you that's know it. that sort of thing. And no state funds though. And then um, it would be good to get Cyrus' view on the BAL. What do you yeah. think the BAL and what do you you know what's your vision for it? Honestly, beyond even BAL, I I envision an NBA and a WNBA standard league in Africa. We get to the point where we don't even need to import. I mean, it puts people like myself out of work, but you know what? It is for the better of Africa. I think we, in the long run, will get to the point where we have the equivalent of WNBA and the NBA. And BAL is that for me. Man, I, I'm so excited about it. And Sarah, it's not going to put you out of a job because once that happened, we will be back home running it, you know? So oh, maybe now it's going to flip around. They're coming from the other side to our team here, eh? No, we will be going to job. So, yeah. Like, always saying, if I my own team at home. I mean, but South Sudan, you guys have some talent. I mean, you guys, like, it feels like your country is made out of giants, you know? So no one has a chance. What what is going on in South Sudan that the rest of Africa is in the water? Love? You see, it's I, I think it's the fairness of God, eh? Because West Africa, you guys have just outdone us with all this. <laughs> <laughs> so what 
else can we do to reach? You have to do more. We're naturally slender, and we have to do more trying to uh, bulk up. But you guys are born bulk. I went to Nigeria for a camp, and it blew me away. <laughs> if I did not know, I would not believe that this kid is 16. You cannot tell me this 16 year old is jumping the way that he's jumping, dunking like this is just like you would say his mm -hmm. mother's dream. How he just yeah. wants. But <laughs> this kid, <laughs> I see you're throwing punches, eh? <laughs> no, no, she's not, she's, I'm coming at her. I'm, I'm, I'm coming at her. Don't worry. I know what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> you see, like Congo, Congo are built just the same way. The Cameroonians, you know, that the Bantu communities are built in that way. So that's your gift. And uh, from where I come from, in fact, being a sister is a very average woman. Um, we had to be up there a little bit to catch up. <laughs> mm. are, are you married? Because we're, we're about to give you a Nigerian husband. Ah, I'm actually looking forward to a Nigerian husband. Do you do you not hear how I'm speaking? I can tell <laughs> you. You see. Call me on my you shouldn't have told him you're looking for a husband because now he's going to make you wife number five. Oh, no, no, no. It's a wrong wife. Okay, okay. I might need to retract my head. The good thing is, Sarah has been to Nigeria. She's seen everything that needs to be seen. So we know that, I mean, within the next, the shortest possible time, we're getting her a Nigerian man. Colin, are you trying to marry all of us off to Nigerian men? But that's the point. You, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're talented, you're hardworking, industrious, entrepreneurial, everything, you know? So you shouldn't be out in all this place. You come to Nigeria, that's, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> Moving on from your marriage proposals, Colin. Now, let's talk about the Raptors winning the championship. Talk oh to me about that oh day, that night, oh and the aftermath. What happened? But what did you go through? What was it like? No matter how many words you gather, you will never sufficiently describe this feeling. Oh Starting boy. from that uh, shot from Kwai. Oh boy. Oh, he, he finished us. You know, when you just, you're finished. <laughs> you, you just don't even know how to act anymore. I Joelle was in my living room. still dreaming about it till today, probably. What? Joelle is still dreaming, crying, and it happened. My brother, why would you do that to me? And you know, then, that, 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 that was the moment the title was won, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, actually, that was the de the defining moment. And just how it bounced and bounced, like, y'all gonna watch me, I'm in control of the whole world right now. I said, can you fall in or out, please? You know, <laughs> no. You won't. Oh it was, boy. it's an incredible feeling, you know, it's that, for me, it wasn't the the year, it was the 25 years coming to a fulfillment in that moment. It was just everything working out perfectly um, for that to take place, you know? So it, it was an incredibly historic moment for everybody. It was electric. Um, to watch that and exciting because the work has just begun. You know, it's it's one thing to win a championship, but to maintain that is it's, it's it's much harder. So yeah, it was exciting, extremely exciting to watch that and gratifying. But 
it was also the beginning of a new journey, which is to maintain that and to bring it home again. The whole African connection with Toronto actually got me. Toronto, Toronto, I'm not saying anything about marriage, don't worry. I can see you. You're, you're, you're looking nervous already. <laughs> I'm not. So, so yeah, look, I, I, that whole African connection got me, but I'm a Golden State groupie. So, uh, that, that 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 final was like both the, my, one of my biggest heartbreaks, and I don't know if you can, if I if I'm explaining this properly, but it was both my biggest heartbreak and my biggest celebration because we we knew Golden State was gonna get torn apart after that um, after that season. So so we just knew that this was like one last hurry for them to become like a real dynasty. And then at the same time, I'm rooting for Toronto because of Masai and everybody else in there. So. On the one hand, you know, I'm, I'm hoping Golden State wins. On the other hand, I'm hoping Toronto wins. So I just wish they could have been a split. Okay, you take half or you take half of it. That was just the way it was for me. <laughs> take half the rings and you take half the trophy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Fair game. That's how we do in Africa. We have harmony. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was incredible. Whew. I think you guys winning it, I, oh my God. So your team reaches out to me in London and said, Benny, can you get all the Toronto fans in London to do a shout out for the team just in case? So I'm like, guys, are we, are we going ahead of ourselves? Do we just wait? <laughs> oh, no, Benny, let's get it done. So I'm over here trying to get everybody. And I'm like, look, on the high streets of London, running around going, do you support Raptors? Do you support? If you don't, doesn't matter. Come and do the video. So I'm getting all <laughs> And I sent it to the outside Messiah, like, look, you need to send me a flag or something that says we are the North because I'm from North mm-hmm. London. We can get a North London people behind it. So he has a sense over with the whole giant of Africa fit. And everybody's like, Benny, what if they don't win? Why have you got all of us supporting Raptors if they don't win? I'm like, in mm-hmm. the air, we trust. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at me like, do you know something we don't? And I'm like, I can't know. <laughs> it was such a phenomenal time for the sports. And I think you're going to be the first team in history to have won the championship and then carried on for another year because of COVID-19. So, realistically, you've won it two years in a row. Wow. Because... You know, but, but, but that, that's why LeBron is doing his best to get the NBA to return. <laughs> <laughs> so, Before we close, Sarah, let's talk a little bit about fashion. And you're a beautiful woman. And Oh, my goodness. Look at, look at all that melanin popping. I don't know why you're not model. I don't know why you're not modeling on the side. Exactly. So I cannot be serious. You need I am the <laughs> person ever. I no. You need to be knocking Naomi Campbell off wherever catwalk she's walking. Exactly. You're a beautiful, beautiful woman. Thank you. Thank beautiful. you. And I was I was stalking you on your Instagram and I was like, sis has some style. Oh. What, 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 what's our Instagram? Let me go over there right now. Well, Sarah, block him. Quick. That's Carl. And some angles. You definitely got some angles as well. I must yeah. say. Look, don't mess with me. See, I'm Instagram right away. <laughs> well, so, Sarah, talk to me about what what is your what would you describe your fashion style? What would you describe your fashion sense? And when you think about you know the the different fashion uh, styles come from Africa and Toronto. I love Toronto because of their creativity and everything. Like oh, Toronto is like one of my favorite. It has a special heart, place in my heart, even though it's mega cold. But you know what inspires you fashion wise? What makes you say you know what this is this is me today? 
<laughs> I'd say um, I go I go to culture. Um, every time that I have to represent Africa, I just think of having to represent Africa the best way that I can. And I think that's I think that's where the inspiration comes from. Most of the time it's not really oh I am up to date with everything that's going on as okay, there's this event that I'm going to be speaking at and I am a vessel that is representing one million young girls and powerful women. So how do I represent them in the best way? Because we know that being black, we always have to do twice sometimes as hard as everybody else. And being black and being a woman and being a woman from South Sudan, you have every bit of proving that along the way will be that blueprint for the kid that is looking up to me. So I just try to do the best that I can to represent where I come from. And it's, it's inspired by Africa and most of our struggle that we've been through and what we have to prove for people to give us that respect because respect is earned. Well, that's, that's where I get it from. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So when are you gonna start your modeling career? <laughs> See nobody else trying to laugh at that, but uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I'm gonna. I don't to start. I honestly like. I like every month I saw you speak at the Nelson Mandela 100, and I said uh -huh. to the guy, I said she's gorgeous. She needs to model. Aww. And he's like, no, man, she works for us. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she, who says she can do both? It's not mutually exclusive. But, Colin, you know you men, you men, when you have your team hard for you mm. to choose your team you know so i get it but sarah i really honestly think you you need to model like do on the yep. side because I, like i and i say this from a, a very passionate place because i remember when i first got into broadcasting where people saying you're too dark to be on tv yeah. and then as soon as i got on tv it was great because young girls that haven't seen women like me or mm. you they're like mm. man that woman on bbc is yeah. as dark as me and she can do mm -hmm. it can do it i could definitely do it so imagine yeah. the impact you will have when mm. you start <laughs> all right so so just to take on to the music side of things what are the top five artists that you listen to i i listen to some artists from home lately i've been listening a lot of artists from uh, South Sudan. Um, I try to support local and yep. David Odom, Burna Boy. I like jazz as well. Sure. Yeah, we like jazz. Like jazz here. And and do you have a name of any local artists? Like, is there any names that you could that I can add onto the podcast as well? This one called Amach. In most of his uh, songs, is just basically praising women and telling African women they're beautiful and. You know, they're powerful and yeah, and some uh, songs is describing them as a flower, oh, you know, wow. and so forth. So I, I really started to listen more and more into that. Um, okay. I love Erica Badu. Yes. Mm. You watched the um, Versus. Erica Badu and Jill Scott. Yes. Scott. Erica Badu, India um Lauren Hill. Yeah. Those are Sarah, we're twins. Sarah's my twin. <laughs> oh, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Definitely. I like that. One last one before you go, though. Um, if you have to choose your all-time five, African five. Oh, my word. <laughs> it would be... <laughs> you see? You, you see that shocked look Thanks. on her face? 
she's praying now that you should stop somewhere there before you go before you go any further all-time <laughs> nba africa five for you who would you have on your team siakam mb um search um Giannis, of course Giannis, of course now number oh lol is done in my mind it was like carrot playing yeah of course i'm always okay all time i have to redo i have to redo we're looking at you like oh what do you mean and tabi had her eyes wide open like are you serious like Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, I thought. It, yeah, I, I, I got the question wrong. Um, I would start with Hakeem Olajuwon. That's our papa. Dikembe is gonna be over there telling people this. That's for sure. <laughs> and then um, I would maybe put a sprinkle of Siakam because he's my to go to. He is. He plays really hard. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. Giannis. It's gonna go to that list because I'm just gonna balance it old school and new school because mm-hmm. it's always something that we bring this different. They can always evolve the game if there were, you know, some of the people that are not playing could play right now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna add because now I have two. Can I add two? <laughs> okay, yeah, one on the, one on the bench. Wait, 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 why are you saying yeah? I said five, you're saying six. What's wrong with you, see Nigerians? social issues in South Sudan and in ending the war and without him we are not there. Sarah cool. it's been amazing having you on the BAL podcast listening to your story listen to your journey your passion for the sport and your passion for the future of sports and also our continent I mean you are a formidable woman in this uh, this arena I owe you a cup of tea when I see you next. Oh, I um, can't you're so you're so amazing. I think you're going to inspire so many men and women that listen to this podcast with your story. And I, I really hope that some girl somewhere in Africa hears this and go, I want to be the next Sarah. Um, mm-hmm. Lead many of us in this arena, and you're leading the way. You're the trailblazer for the women, and I appreciate you here. And I'm sure the rest of my team here also really appreciate what you're doing and what you're giving back to the content. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. you know, we just want this to keep going on and on and on. <laughs> oh, I'm here. I don't have much to do for the rest of the night. <laughs> but before we close out, though, I must say that, you know, we're sending our condolences to um, Makta Nindi, who lost his father on the night that we were actually recording the BAL podcast. Um, Makta is an amazing guy, you know, passionate yes. about his Senegal, passionate about his parents and everything his parents has done for him. So we are really sad to hear yeah. the person of your father. As always, if there's anything we can do to help, 
please do reach out. We're there for you. Um, and I'm sure the rest of the NBA Africa and the rest of the BAL family, we're all here for you, Magta. So just reach out. That's all you need to do if you need anything else. Um, mm -hmm. I'm excited about next week's podcast, you guys. We have Aluja Muhammad, who's the brother of Nazar Muhammad, who used to play for the Chicago Bulls way back when, the first Ghanaian in the league. Next, we have a Ghanaian on the podcast. I'm so excited. Uh, yes. Oh Work on getting us South African on the Benny, why, why South African players in the NBA. Hey, Steve Nash is is from South Africa. He doesn't count. He doesn't count. He doesn't count. He doesn't count. But hang on, Benny. Why are we having a Ghanaian before before Nigerian? That's that is that is so not fair. You, Niger what? you Nigerians want to do one four one nine on podcast. I don't understand. So, <laughs> let's really? bring the correct ones first, and then the Nigerian. <laughs> you know, then we can gamble. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Aluja Mohammed is joining us. He is playing Ooh. in the BAL league. He signed with a team in Morocco. He went through the whole shutdown of COVID-19 and he was stuck in Morocco. So it'll be interesting to get an update as to where he's at, what's happening, but also his experiences in playing in the EuroLeague. And, you know, a league we don't talk most about, but a mm. lot of the talent that comes from the EuroLeague go to the NBA and EuroLeague is one mm. of the best in the world. So it'll be really good to find out a bit more about his journey into the league, but also what he's doing back home in Ghana because he's teamed up with Luau Pops and you're doing a lot back home in Ghana. So it'd be really good to learn a bit more about it. So I'm really excited about that, guys. Um, anything else have we missed? Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and we're on Instagram at the BAL podcast. We're also on um, Spotify, SoundCloud, and we'll be on Apple iTunes soon. So you can listen to us anywhere like us follow us give us a five star when you listen and we just love you and also don't forget to check out dj aries's um playlist that's hey, yes on Spotify. Yep. so every week when we ask our guests their top five artists what she does then she goes and creates a whole playlist in their name so you can download that and listen to it um and give her a shout out you know go follow her out on on twitter instagram we're everywhere um I'm really enjoying this podcast series and I know in the next couple of weeks we're going to do the roadmap to the BAL. So we're going to be talking not only about the sports, but also the tourism of the different countries where the BAL is going into. Um, so please do check that out. And again, like having Syrah on here talking about the work she's done with the Raptors, but also Giants of Africa. Um, me, like Syrah, we volunteer our time to support the cause. Giants of Africa has done some amazing things across the continent. Please go follow them on Twitter and also Instagram. Check out their videos because their videos on YouTube and across social media tells the story of what they're trying to do. Mm. Um, and if you're African and you know you're a giant in Africa, <laughs> you need to support the work that you're doing. Um, I've been Miss Benny Bonsu. Thank you, Intabi. Colin, DJ Aries, and Syrah for joining us this week. We'll be back this time next week with Aluja Mohammed.